The reading is Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 23, and can be found on page 1183 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back, and page numbers for those are on the screen. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised, with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, my name is uh, Richard. If we haven't met, uh, do please keep that uh, open so you can... Uh, Follow through as we look at it together. Uh, Let's pray as we uh, come to listen to God's word. In Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Our Father, we praise you for that gift of Christ and of fullness in him, that we are complete in him. And we ask that this evening, through uh, his word, by his spirit, uh, we might understand better uh, that fullness. We might enjoy uh, more deeply that fullness. We might live out more truly 
at the fullness that we have in Christ. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, I uh, went into our sitting room uh, one morning and found a combination of three things uh, that don't go well together. Uh, A Bible that had been left out uh, on a chair after our house group the night before. That's fine in and of itself. Uh, As is a red pencil which somehow had survived the purge of things that we sort of try and tidy up each evening. And item number three was Daniel, our one-year-old, who thought that combining the red pencil and the Bible was an excellent idea. Uh, Somehow, it was closed. He'd managed to open it to precisely this page. Uh, He knew I was preaching it, thought I needed some help. And uh, so he was, you know, making his notes uh, or scrolls in the Bible. Uh, His additions didn't improve uh, what was there. Uh, and it was fine, sort of 20 minutes with a rubber, slightly painstakingly trying to clear it all out, and uh, everything was fine. But his additions made things worse. Now, you can imagine a slightly larger example. Uh, imagine that we sent him to uh, Paris, uh, to the Louvre, armed with a red paintbrush, to go and touch up uh, the Mona Lisa. Uh, his improvements would make it worse. His additions would subtract from the glory of that painting. They would make her less financially valuable, certainly less artistically uh, valuable. To add to something, well, sometimes that will actually subtract from it, detract from it. You'll be left with less. If you've been here the last uh, few weeks, you'll know that in Colossians... Uh, Paul is writing a letter to this church where people are coming and wanting to add to what's been taught. You've been given Jesus. Paul and Epaphras, they've given you Jesus. Excellent. That's a good start. Let's add a little bit more. Let us give you a little bit extra. We can give you fullness. We can give you completeness. We can give you maturity. We can add what you're lacking. And Paul writes this letter as a resounding no. To add anything to Jesus, you're left with less. It is like Daniel scrawling in a Bible. It's like trying to add lipstick to the Mona Lisa. You add, you'll end up with less. It'll be worse. Jesus plus anything is less. That's what Paul's writing here. And in verses 6 and 7, the beginning of the reading uh, that we just had, uh, Paul really sums up the heart of this letter, the heart of his concern for the Colossians, and he says, continue in Christ. Uh, If you've got it in front of you, uh, look again, verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, just as you received him. Not a different Christ, not with some extra things added on, just what you received, continue in him. Rooted and built up in him, not in something else. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught, not these new additions. Overflowing with thankfulness. Because Paul knows, and it's a big theme in this letter, that when we're thankful for what Christ has done for us, for the fullness we have in him, It's a little bit easier to ignore those voices that say you're missing something. You're lacking in some way. Paul says, continue in Christ. And that's a positive way of saying it. Verse 8, he says it negatively. See that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, 
which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. There are people, he says, who will try and take you captive. They're teaching it's, it's human, it's based on this world, it doesn't depend on Christ. It isn't based on him. Don't be taken captive by it. Don't be taken captive by that. Instead, continue in Christ. As you were taught, just as you received him, continue, says Paul. And that's the the heartbeat, really, of this letter. Uh, In this passage, uh, we get a a reason and a result. So uh, just look down, verse 9. I continue in Christ, verse 9, 4, because, here's the reason. Here's why you continue in Christ. You don't need to add anything on. And then verse 16 will say, therefore, continue in Christ. Why? Because you have fullness in him. That's verses uh, 9 to 15. Verse 16 onwards, therefore, what are the things to look out for? What are the ways people might take to try to take you captive? That's the way uh, this passage works. Uh, so first we'll look at verse uh, 9 to 15. Continue in Christ. Why? For you have fullness. You have fullness in Christ. Verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. All of God is in Jesus. Fullness of deity. And you have all of Jesus. You've been brought to fullness in him. All of God is in Jesus. You have all of Jesus. You have fullness. He is, the end of verse 10, he is the head over every power and authority. Still that idea up. We'll come back to that in a moment. He is the head. In him you have fullness. And verses 11 and 12, I think they are the densest couple of verses in this letter. Uh, let me read it in a second. The, the big idea in them is, in Jesus, what is this fullness? What does it look like? In Jesus you have new life. Let me read those verses. Verse 11 and 12. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. You have new life in Christ. That's the fullness. You see, circumcision uh, that he talks about here in the Old Testament, it was a sign of death. It was a sign of, as part of the flesh, was cut off. It was a sign of the old life being cut off, of dying. Uh, Baptism, the imagery is even stronger in verse 12. Baptism, it's a sign of death and new life. If you see an adult baptized, uh, immersed in the water, uh, they are uh, held down under the water. Now, only for a couple of seconds, it's fine. Uh, We've risk assessed it, but the symbolism is they go under the water And if they were held there, they would die. It's like a burial. But then, of course, moments later, they come up out of the water again, and we go, there's new life. That's the symbolism of baptism. It's a death and a resurrection. It's a new life. And see whose new life it is. These couple of verses, they've got complicated, long words, but the key words are actually very short. They are in and they are with. See verse 11, in him, in Christ, you were also circumcised. That death of your old life, it was in him. Verse 12, 
having been buried with him in baptism, in which you're also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Uh, Christian, you have died and been raised. Notice, by the way, he's not talking about something that will happen in the future. That is true. We will be raised with Christ. We'll hear more about that next week in chapter 3. Uh, two weeks' time. No six o'clock service next week. Uh, two weeks' time in chapter 3. Uh, but here, do you see verse 12? In which you were also raised. This is something that has happened for the Christian. You've died with him. You've been raised with him. The death that you died is his. The new life that you have, it is his full life. The metaphor in uh, this letter that helps us, I think, understand this is that of a head and a body. Uh, Several times through this letter in our reading, uh, Christ is the head of his body, the church. And uh, you don't need a biology uh, degree to know. One of the things about heads and bodies is they go together. What happens to your head happens to your body. Uh, Tomorrow, if someone asks you, what did you get up to at the weekend? Uh, You're not going to tell them, well, my head went to Lime Park and, you know, had a very enjoyable time. Or or my head went out for a meal with some good friends. It's not what you're going to say. Because if your head goes to Lime Park, then you go to Lime Park. If your head goes out for a meal, you go out for a meal. What happens to your head happens to your body. So it is with Jesus. What happens to him happens to us. Happens to his body, us, the church. When he died, we died. When he was raised, we were raised. Because what happens to the head happens to the body. And so it is his life. The new life that baptism symbolizes, that coming up out of the water, the <gasps> it is Jesus' new life that the Christian has. What does that new life look like? It does mean being able to live differently. That'll be the focus in chapter 3 in two weeks' time. But here the focus is, a new life means full forgiveness. Verse 13, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. The new life is to be forgiven, fully forgiven. Okay, these next couple of verses, they are uh, slightly dense. Before we go into it, let me give you a a picture uh, that might help us go through. Uh, Three years ago, I think, uh, three years ago, um, I uh, just went out to see a friend, and I was coming home, and I realized that our wedding anniversary was the next day, and I had forgotten. Uh, It was a little late to sort of organize going out for a meal, you know, babysitters and all of that, so I thought, what am I going to do? I was walking past Asda, I thought, okay, I'll pop in, pick up some food, uh, some ingredients, make something slightly nicer than my normal spaghetti bolognese, and uh, this will be fine. Uh, that was the plan all along. Uh, so I popped into Asda and sort of going through the shelves and picking up various uh, bits and pieces, uh, trying to remember how to cook something. Uh, get bits and pieces, a bottle of wine, yeah, that'll help. Uh, grab that, put it in the basket. And uh, I got to the checkout, and you know, they started beeping things through, you know, beep, 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 and the bottle of wine, beep. And, uh, excuse me, sir, have you got any ID? Oh, yes, of course. Uh, Actually, no, I don't. Uh, I just walked out to see a friend. I don't take ID. You know, he knew who I was. And uh, so no ID. Uh, sorry, I don't. That's awkward. Any chance? No? Okay. Fine, I'll put that to one side. 
and uh, it keeps kind of beeping things through you, beep, 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 and some of you have worked out already where this story's going. I hadn't. Uh, that'll be, and he tells me how much it'll cost, and I say, of course, that's, yeah, because, of course, I didn't have ID because I didn't have my wallet, and uh, I had nothing on me. And it's a sort of slightly embarrassing moment as I loaded everything back into my basket and walked back around the shop and put it all back on the shelves uh, where it was and slunk out. And uh, truth be told, two and a half years, uh, we then lived in the same place. That was our local Asda. Every time I went, I avoided that guy uh, and his checkout. And he was perfectly lovely. Uh, nothing wrong with him. It was just, it was embarrassing. Now imagine, I think no reason to think he would have done this, but imagine he got to his break and uh, went into the staff room and uh, called people around and said, no, let me show you this idiot on the CCTV. And sort of got people around and sort of, they could have had a good laugh at my expense. Here's someone who comes and he doesn't have what he needs. He's uh, unarmed, as it were. Uh, he's, he's unequipped. What a muppet to turn up without the two things he needs, ID and some money. Okay. I didn't have what I needed. I embarrassed myself. People are laughing at me. They weren't, but imagine people were laughing at me. That's the image as we go into these verses. When you were dead in your sins, the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. The charge of our legal indebtedness. That is, imagine, a piece of paper Uh, which I carry around with me, which says, Richard Criddle has not loved the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, has not loved his neighbor as himself. That is the charge against me. It's a legal charge. And it means, verse 14, indebtedness. Uh, There is a debt. There is a penalty. As there would be if you go to any court in this country and you'll find guilty, there will be some penalty, some debt that you owe. So it is in God's court. That charge against me means there is a debt. Uh, But Jesus Christ, you see the end of that verse, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. When Jesus was hung on a cross, when the nails were driven through his hands and his feet, he took with him that charge sheet. It was nailed to the cross and he paid the debt, my debt. He was punished. The penalty landed on him. And what's the result of that verse 15? And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The powers and authorities, it's talking about Satan. And the Bible says one of his titles, one of his roles, he is the accuser. He loves to accuse God's people. He loves to take that sheet and say, God, what are you going to do about Richard? Look, he he hasn't loved you. He hasn't loved his neighbor. He's guilty. Satan loves to whisper that in the Christian's ear. He loves to make us feel condemned and accused. And he loves to say it before God and say, God, you're a holy God. You're a just God. You're going to punish him. And so one day, I will stand before God's throne, his judgment seat. And with my heart in my mouth, my name will be called. And Satan will step up as the accuser. And will be asked, what have you got on him? And Satan will look at me and he'll smile because he knows. He knows my life. He knows how much he has on me. And he'll reach into his briefcase. 
and that'll be a long moment, and nothing will come out. And there'll be a sort of awkward moment as he sort of fumbles and checks his pockets and tries to work out, and, and God will ask him, have you got anything? And Satan will have to say, no, I don't. Because the charge against me, Jesus took it away. He nailed it to the cross. It is there forever. It is gone. And Satan is, this verse says, disarmed. He has nothing left to use against me. He can't accuse me of anything because Jesus has paid the debt. And therefore, he will be a public spectacle. The court of heaven will laugh at him for turning up without the things he needed. For turning up and trying to accuse God's children with nothing in his briefcase and nothing in his pockets, he will be laughed at. And after me, it'll be your turn. And if you're in Christ, you are forgiven. And Satan is disarmed and has no way of accusing you because the accusations have been taken away and nailed to the cross. And again and again and again and again, all of heaven will laugh at him. Because not only was he defeated by a dead man on a cross gasping for breath, but he fails again and again and again and again to accuse even one of God's children. The powers and authorities. Do you remember verse 10? Christ is the head over every power and authority. Verse 15, he has disarmed the powers and authorities. There is no force on this earth or in heaven that can stop you coming home because Jesus has disarmed them when he died on the cross. In Christ, all the, de- all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form and you have been given fullness in Christ. A new life, full forgiveness. Paul says, continue in Christ. Why? You have fullness in him. You have fullness. Verse 16, therefore. Therefore, don't be taken captive by, and there's, uh, there's three little bits of these couple of paragraphs. Uh, continue in Christ. You have fullness in him. Don't be taken captive. What ways might people try and take us captive? Try and say, as well as Jesus, let us add on these other things. Here's three ways that Paul gives. And before we get into them, let's be clear. The things I'm about to say, uh, lots of them are good things. Uh, lots of them would be the practice of people in this room, and that's not a problem. Paul's saying the problem is when you are taken captive by them, is the language in verse 8. The language in verse 16 when people judge you by these things, verse 18, when this is used to qualify or disqualify people, when we look to these things sort of in and of themselves, when we stop using them as a means of knowing Christ and growing in Christ, when we think that by themselves they will help us, that's where the problem comes. So what is that? Verse 16 and 17, uh, don't be taken captive by uh, religious traditions. Verse 16, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Uh, These, uh, for the the Christians in the time, a a Jewish-Gentile mixed congregation, uh, the old Jewish traditions, Paul's saying, don't let anyone judge you 
by whether you follow them or not. Why? Verse 17. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Imagine that your best friend has been overseas for some years and is on their way home, and today's the day they're coming home, and they knock on your front door, and uh, through the, the glass pane on your front door, uh, you have to imagine that you have a glass pane on your front door, uh, the sun shines, and they're there, and you see their shadow falling on the floor as they're knocking on the door, and you, you jump on the floor, and you, you hug it, and you, you kiss the floor, because there's their shadow, and their shadow's there. It'd be crazy. Your friend is at the door. Of course you're not going to obsess over their shadow. Paul says those who judge others by religious traditions, that's what they're doing. They are a shadow of the things to come, but reality is found in Christ. And so if someone ever says to you uh, that to be a complete as a Christian, to be a real Christian, you really do need to uh, be teetotal, or a vegetarian, or fast for Lent. You really do need to go on a pilgrimage, or a silent retreat, or maybe closer to home. You have to have a quiet time every day. If someone would judge you by those things, you can tell them, verse 17, you're obsessing over shadows. I have Jesus, and he is the reality I'll tell them that politely, but with the authority of Scripture, you can tell them, I don't need those things. They are shadows. I have Jesus. Uh, Religious traditions, uh, verses uh, 18 and 19, don't be taken captive by worship experiences. Verse 18, don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen and are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual minds. The worship of angels here, it's very unlikely that anyone in the church in Colossae was worshipping angels. The worship of angels probably means sort of angelic worship. Let's worship like the angels. In, In whatever way you imagine angels worship, let's reach their level of worship. And Paul says someone who would disqualify others based on their worship experience or or perceived lack of it, verse 19, they've lost connection with the head, that is Jesus, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Someone who obsesses over those things, who disqualifies others based on their lack of those things, they've lost contact with the head. They're like an arm that somehow rents itself off the body, and you know, like a scene from a horror movie, sort of you know, rolling across the floor trying to, trying to pursue these things. It's lost contact with the head. That arm's not going to grow anymore. That arm's not going to live anymore. And so it is with someone who who disqualifies others uh, because of worship experiences. And so, uh, again, whatever that might. Uh, be, whatever the voices might be in your ear, uh, whether it is that to be a, a real Christian, to really have a connection with God, uh, you need the, the holy worship experience, the ancient buildings, the very slow pace, the, the choral music, and that is where God is truly present. Whether it's uh, the other way, rather than the holy experiences, the, the huge worship experience, 
uh, with a huge band and the full noise and lots of hands in the air. Lots of people are speaking prophetic words, speaking in other languages. And that is where you truly experience the Spirit. Remember what I'm saying, I'm not against these things. But if someone would disqualify you because that's not your experience of worship, Paul would say, you can say to them politely, friend, I think you've lost connection with Jesus. He is the one where we experience God. In him we have fullness. Not in those experiences of worship. Well, then thirdly, from verse 20, uh, don't be taken captive by strict rules. Verse 20, since you died with Christ, the element, elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Uh, If someone would tell you, uh, the only way you can be pure with your eyes is to not have a TV in your house, to, to never watch an 18 certificate film, if someone tell you the way to be pure with your tongue is to count to ten before you speak, is to set up a swear jar so everything, every time you say something rude, you need to put some money in it and it'll teach you not to do it. If someone tells you the way to be sexually pure, it is to put porn blocking software on your computer, is to never kiss your girlfriend, boyfriend until you get married. If someone would tell you that the way to be uh, pure, controlled, restrained in the way with your body, is there are certain clubs in Manchester you never go to, and anywhere else you go, you never have more than one drink. Paul says those rules do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. They have an appearance of wisdom. They're very harsh in the way they treat the body, but verse 23, they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. If someone says those rules are the way you'll grow, you'll be pure, you can tell them that they have no value. How then do I grow as a Christian? I long to be more pure. How, how, how do I? How do I be more like Christ? Chapter 3. Uh, we'll get there. But for now, it's not those rules. They lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Continue in Christ, Paul would say. In him you have fullness. You have his new life. You have full forgiveness. There is no power or authority on earth or in heaven that can stop you because Christ is head over all of them. Therefore, don't be taken captive. Not by strict rules, not by worship experiences, not by uh, religious traditions. Any of them might be valuable. Any of them might be used to help you grow in Christ. But if you think they're the thing, They'll just take you captive. There's no fullness there. There's no freedom there. They are just like trying to paint lipstick onto the Mona Lisa to to pretty her up. You add these things to Jesus, and you'll be left with nothing. 
So then he says, verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught. And overflowing with thankfulness. Let's pray. Uh, That would be true of us, of our church. Our Father, again, we praise you that we have uh, fullness in Christ. That there's no part of him that you've withheld uh, from us. His death we share in, his resurrection we share in, his victory over Satan we share in. Uh, We praise you that his uh, new life uh, will transform us, that we're forgiven. And so please, in your kindness, would you grant that we would continue in him? Where we're tempted to to look to others, would instead we be rooted and built up in him? Where we feel weak, would we be strengthened in him? Where we feel a lack, would we instead be thankful for him? We ask in Christ's name, for his honour. Amen.